Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CadSource production. In this episode, I chat with David Meltzer. David is a difference maker in the sports industry and also with anyone that comes across his content. His life's mission is to empower people to be happy. We explore what happy means to David, how he dealt with losses, and how to handle the obstacles life throws at you, including the pandemic the world is dealing with today. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. I've been following you for a while and it's been fun to deep dive back into your content and what you have going on. So I've enjoyed that. And obviously seeing someone like yourself is going to create a lot out of this time. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And so when Jake reached out to me, we had connected with Jake, I guess a couple of years ago, he was still in school and came away incredibly impressed with who he was and the track he was on and stayed in touch with him, obviously through LinkedIn and other things. And obviously knew he had been working for you and reached out and so do you know David Meltzner? I said, I sure do. And had some back and forth. So it was uh, it's an honor to chat with you. And I appreciate the time because I know you're extremely busy right now. And things are like like you, we were talking about, a lot of chaos. But what a great time to chat and, and learn about what you're up to and your team and, and the track you've been on and like to get into some you know deep aspects of that, if that works for you. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So David, as we've been chatting already, this is the time. I mean, things are going to change from here, but the coronavirus is here now. When we think about our content is just, you can check back in on it any time. And whether it's the coronavirus, 9-11, 1987, I mean, you name it, there's always going to be obstacles. It could be a small obstacle. It could be your kid sick. But specifically with what we're dealing with right now, I mean, I think the world's shut down in some aspects. Something that's out of our control, an obstacle has come and, and has hit everybody. It's in everybody's way. And it's an exciting time to chat with you, but it's a very tough time and we don't want to downplay it. But I think we both realize there's incredible opportunity that exists right now. The first question I have for you is, what are you talking to your team about at this moment? I'm talking to everyone, both personally, my team being my family and relatives, as well as my businesses, about culture and values and caste. So those are the two things that I feel are the true currencies of the universe. You know, one is values, faith. Those are the true currency of the universe. And then caste, money, is an object of energy that we put in the floor and get what we want. So how do we stabilize our values and stabilize our caste? And then what opportunities exist according or aligned with our values and, of course, monetarily with cash as well. And those both can be two tangential journeys through a time of uncertainty of what I call reengineering and repurposing. The universe has a great way of pressing the pause button. So what the universe is doing right now is nothing's disappearing from us, nothing's being taken from us. It's just slowing it down, right? Money's not going to disappear. It's just the slowing it down. Our families aren't going to disappear. We're just slowing it down so we can now have a, a new perspective, an innovative, creative, 
inspirational perspective to appreciate, add value to what we currently have. And I think, you know, what I've been teaching value-wise over, especially the last three years on social media, is applicable today more than ever of understanding and taking inventory on those personal values, experiential values, giving values, and receiving values, and how those values apply directly to the second currency of money. There's a fight or flight mentality that I think a lot of people have. It's common, right? Someone punches you in the face, you want to punch them right back. And there's a moment, I think, that someone has to pause and perhaps reflect on where they are, think about what they're doing. You clearly are a thinker. You've thought through this. So when this obstacle comes at you and comes at your family and your team and anybody that you're talking to, which is a lot of people, you've already thought through this. Maybe the situation could be a surprise, but the fact that an obstacle presented itself is not a surprise, actually. And the fight or flight mentality, you don't necessarily have that. But I'm sure you're dealing with people that could have that and that that aren't necessarily ready to take it on like you might be ready to take it on, which is an amazing thing that you're in their life. And you could be in their life in many ways through content or through a personal relationship they might have with you or talking to us on this podcast, which we're grateful for. But speak to us a little bit about that. For someone who maybe doesn't have the background, the psychology to think through things like you might be able to. Well, it's really interesting that you say that because you know I have lived through 93, 97, 2001, 2008 as a professional and as an adult. And through the lessons that I've learned from living in ego-based consciousness or fear consciousness, as you stated, that flight or fear or fear or the other F word, what we want to do is practice and start, if you're at the very beginning of your journey, start practicing ending fear. And when I say that, the first practice that I've learned over these years and why I'm more prepared than I was the last time that this occurred 13 years ago is that I practice one, identifying when I'm in the ego-based consciousness, identifying the need to be right, the need to be separate, the need to be inferior, the need to be superior, the need to be offended, resentful, scared, angry, anxious, guilty, frustrated. And so I started to identify the things that were causing me to accelerate in the wrong direction, in the wrong trajectory, away from what I wanted. And so the first key was, do I have the cognitive ability and the patience to, number one, identify that? And then two, what practices could I put into place that would allow me to stop when I identified I was in the ego-based or accelerated uh, trajectory in the wrong direction? And so that's where, for me, that's where I learned to identify that I learned to stop via breathing and thinking, you know, breathing deep through my nose, straightening my spine, out through my mouth, and asking myself one simple question, why do I feel this way? And then I started asking also for other people in instituting forgiveness, why does that person feel that way? And then seek understanding, seek an acceleration and a growth and awareness that I never had before, either for my own feelings or for other people's feelings of why they feel that way. And then when I can identify why I feel that way, I then can stop, drop my blood pressure and think about things in the truth of consciousness and roll in the right trajectory through gratitude of the lesson that's learned, the light that was found, the love that I share, forgiveness for me not knowing or the other person not knowing accountability, which says, 
what did I do to attract this to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? And in the end, clearing the connections to this powerful source that we're connected to at all times, that I'm reducing the interference or corrosion between me and that which I'm connected to, as well as allowing that inspiration to come through me with appreciation, which is the additive of value, through me for others with no interference or corrosion. And that cycle, that flow, is one which is most necessary for today in this opportunity to pause, to learn, to identify what causes us to be in ego-based consciousness, to ask ourselves why, to stop, drop, and roll, and to reduce the corrosion and interference. So not only are we more inspired, but we can reduce the corrosion and interference. What happens is people are like lemons. You You squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out because that's what's in them. When we're in ego-based consciousness and we get squeezed, we're projecting and attacking and projecting those insecurities of fear, anxiety, and then it just keeps accelerating and exponentially growing in the wrong direction. We have an opportunity to stop, drop, and roll and put things back on the track instead of accelerating fear, anxiety, guilt, defense, resentment, etc. The experiences that you mentioned at the beginning of that, that's what took you to, down this path to allow you to share these stories today. It wasn't always this way. And I think it gives hope to so many people that can take in what you're saying in all the different mediums that they can find you. And it's inspiring to someone like myself to listen to you because of the experiences that you've been through. We've all been through some experiences and they're all different, but they're very important. And that's why you are where you are today. And we can learn from that. Like I said at the beginning, when we started talking, we can dive in deep to your story. And I want to go a little bit deep right now with that story. I understand from Akron, Ohio. And I want you to tell a little bit about that story because you had a different upbringing, right? You didn't have necessarily everything that you ever wanted. And you wanted money and you wanted it so bad and you went out and got it. But tell me a little bit about perhaps your mom and growing up in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, so I was born, my dad left when I was five. I grew up in Akron, Ohio with six siblings. There was five boys, one little girl. And what we were born on was education, right? Family and education. And my mom's philosophies were common philosophies of a single mom, right? Education first. Fetus wasn't fully developed until after graduate school. Doctor, lawyer, failure was repeated again and again. And my siblings all aligned and adhered to my mom's powerful message as well as her guilt. I would say my mom was a black belt, a third degree black belt in the martial art of Jewish guilt, <laughs> uh, which is a great, a great tool to raise kids on. Wake <laughs> them up early and guilt them to death. That's it. <laughs> and they're going to turn out successful, at least aligned with your vision of success. I was born with a happy gene and uh, it's a, a blessing to be born with the happy gene. So I was always happy except for when I saw my mom crying over financial stress. The car would break down. We couldn't make rent. We barely had enough for food. Whatever it may be, that to me, immediately at five years old, told me that money buys happiness because at all of the times, I was super happy. And so all I wanted to do was be rich, buy my mom a house and a car. And if I could do that, I would always be happy. And that theme, as it does for many people, we joke around, you know, I didn't have it easy. I feel sorry for people. I always start my speeches around the world. I'm like, who here grew up with uh, broke and uh, every, you know, half of the audience raising their hand. And I was like, I feel sorry for the rest of you uh, because I can't even teach my kids what I learned through the hunger and desire to must be what I can be, you know, for survival to provide for my mom a house and a car. But I went through a journey 
that led me to be a multimillionaire, which only reinforced every step of the way, every step of the way that I was, you know, money bought happiness, money bought love, buying my mom a house in a car nine months out of law school when I was a millionaire, becoming a multimillionaire and learning how to raise money on the Silicon Valley, becoming the CEO of the first smartphone that Samsung manufactured, the Windows CE device in 1999, to running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, the most notable sports agency in the world. And at that time, getting radical humility, learning that money does not buy love or happiness. Two years before I lost everything, and I did lose everything in 2008 at the end there, 2008 and beginning of nine, I lost over $100 million on paper. But the story for me started well before that. At 30 years old, my dad sent me a jacket for my birthday with no pockets to tell me that I was supposed to hang it in my closet to remind me I was just like him. I remember distinctly telling him, you're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, back-end seller, overseller, and I was nothing like you. And I was so angry at him. Like I thought, man, he doesn't even... He doesn't get it. You know, nobody got it. My wife didn't get it. My mom didn't get it. And I hung that dumb jacket up to find out my best friend tells me in my mid thirties, as I invite him out to the Super Bowl and Pro Bowl Masters, Kentucky Derby, and not hanging out with me. I'm like, hey, dude, I went so hard. I can even come to these things because I don't like to hang out with you. I was like, why? Because I don't like who you're hanging out with. And I'm lying. You know, I said, well, I'm not like those guys. He said, but you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I left that golf match crying. But two weeks after that was the real catalyst of my life. Two years before I lost all my money, this changed my life. It set me forth with the lessons of values that we talked about earlier that will help people and guide them through a time of uncertainty, a time of reengineering, repurposing, or pause. The lesson that I learned was because my wife, I went to the Grammy Awards, lied to my wife with a rapper called Little John. And when I came home intoxicated and high, my wife, we had everything, right? Any car you could imagine, a boat, motorhome, whatever I needed, I could buy. I could buy anything that I wanted. My wife told me that she wasn't happy. Now, this rocked my world. It rocked my world because for the first time, it was totally against what I believed, which is money bought happiness, money bought love. How could she not love me or be happy? This is impossible because we have all the money in the world. And I can tell you that I was pissed off. I didn't need to be resentful and offended. And I went and told her to F off. And then how dare she say that? Because everything I had done money-wise, you should be loving me and you should be happy. And I went to sleep, woke up in the morning, even more closed-minded and angry, flight of fear and feed and F. And I was going to call a lawyer, figure out how I could take all my money. Because if she wasn't going to appreciate my money and wasn't going to buy me love or happiness, I was going to find someone that could. And... Just when I was so angry and so lost, I looked over in my closet and there was that jacket hanging. I looked at that thing and I'm like, oh my gosh, just like my dad. It still chokes me up today. I'm just like my dad. I'm a liar, manipulator, a cheater, an overseller, and a back-end seller. And uh, my wife told me I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And I took a personal inventory that day of my personal values, my experiential values, my giving values and receiving values. And I started to live my life every day with gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration and utilizing that as a practice. It didn't happen overnight. And my marriage here 13 years later never been better. It prepared me to go bankrupt in 2009. 
the beginning of the year there. I took 2009 right there. But it prepared me for everything because it taught me this valuable lesson, and I hope everyone's listening during this uncertain time, this reengineering, repurposing, this opportunity to pause. Money is important. Money does not buy love. It does not buy happiness. But it allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things, you will be happy. If you shop for the wrong things, it will make you unhappy. Money is still half of the equation, culture and cash. You must have your values first, but money will buy you and give you the opportunity to help other people and create a void in your life that can be filled if you buy the right things. So I started to utilize my money to be of service, to help other people to allow things to come through me. And it keeps on coming to allow me to keep on doing that. And I think this is a perfect opportunity. Pretend as if the coronavirus is my wife. All it's doing is telling you, hey, moron, stop, drop and roll. Let's figure this out. Take the pause, re-engineer, repurpose. This is a huge opportunity to build on something that's extraordinary. And that's why, as you say, I'm much more prepared here today than I was in 1993, 97, 2001, and 2008. And that's why I look at this as a culture and cash, both stabilization and opportunity. Thank you for sharing that real story. I mean, these are the types of things that we all need to hear. You lived through this, and it sounds like your friend originally, and it didn't hit you right away, was a truth teller. And then your wife became the ultimate truth teller. And you weren't even ready to hear that truth. And you needed to get to that point, like you said, from your dad's jacket to hear that truth. We talked to Tim Kite, famous business coach, worked with Urban Meyer. And he always talked, find your truth tellers. And I always look at my own wife and I see the same thing. She'll call me out on some stuff and it's hard and it's hard to take. But when you take it and you own it and you do something about it. And like you said, I like when you said it didn't happen overnight. It's not like you flipped the switch and woke up the next morning and you're ready to go. It took time and took exercise and patience and all these different things that you're talking about. Like I said, thank you for sharing that. And then you get into the money aspect of it and money gives you these options. And then you have a decision to make with those options, right? What are you going to do with that money? And backing up even more, because you talked about these upbringings and and making decisions and what direction are you going to go? And you had a choice and you talked about how you became a lawyer and you made a lot of money and you bought your mom a lot of things, but she gave you advice. And there's a we live in a time right now, there's a lot of advice out there. You can go online, you can get advice from anybody. Anyone you ask them, they will give it to you, right? And so you have to be careful who you're getting advice from. And it might even be your most loved one. Your mom gave you advice because I believe you were trying to decide at a point, should you become the big lawyer or should you go work as a, I think it was on the internet side of the legal side, right? With the internet. Tell me a little bit about that and the advice that you sought from her. Yeah, actually reverse engineered going to the law school I did to see what law job paid the most money, which was an oil and gas litigator. And so when I graduated law school from Tulane University, which has a top maritime law program, I got a job as an oil and gas litigator and asked my mom, you know, what should I do? Because I got this great paying job as an oil and gas litigator, but also got an offer in the internet selling legal research online where I didn't have to have a law degree. Well, they wanted me to have a law degree, but I didn't have to pass the bar. And I asked my mom, and this is where I learned that valuable lesson. My mom said, without blinking, you need to be a real lawyer. (laughs) This internet job and this internet itself is a fad. You (laughs) need to be a real lawyer. This will never work for you. And that's when I started voting for what I wanted. I started realizing that mentorship was so important in my life, but 
you've got to ask the people that sit in the situation that you want to be in that have an expertise of what you're looking at. You can't ask a second grade teacher about a new business or a new industry or let alone a technology with no situational experience in that. So, you know, later on in life, what I can still do, which is why I myself and one of the top business coaches and, and life coaches and pride myself on that is I want to be in the situation that other people want to be in and help them accelerate and elevate them to elevate myself. But you should always have three mentors in your life, people that sit in situations. But moreover, you need to vote for what you want. You need to vote for what you want because what you vote for in your life, what you pay attention to and give intention to will create the coincidences or elect what you want in your life. And you have an extraordinary opportunity to vote for what you want and not listen to all the noise and the chaos and the false profits and the unstable data. If you vote for what you want that are aligned with your personal experience of giving and receiving value, that's what's going to be elected. It's your life. And that's when I started voting for what I wanted. And that's what got elected into my life. And today, more than ever, focusing on the road that you want to travel don't focus on the cones that you want to miss because you'll end up running off the road into those cones Is that what you're focused in on to. What you pay attention to and you give intention to, and intention is the aggregate of what you think, say, do, believe, and even your personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions, that's unconscious competency as well. That aggregate of what you pay attention to plus the intention equals the coincidences that occur in your life. What you vote for will be elected into your life. Clearly, you're a coach and you said one of the top coaches. And I could absolutely understand that after listening to you and, and checking out all your content. I heard an interview you did with Cheddar and you were talking about the coaching calls that you have. And one of the most fascinating things I found in that conversation that you were having is that you listen to your own calls because it helps you out. And I love that because that's what I do. So I have this podcast and I have a conversation with you. If no one ever listened to this call, I got, first of all, to have the conversation with you. Chances are I'm not having this conversation if I don't have a podcast, right? And then I have the recording of it and I can listen to it. So again, if no one ever listened to the call, I was present and now I can re-listen to it. It helps me become a better communicator, helps me meet new people, it helps me listen better. There's so many things that come from it. But the fact that where you are in your career and the different experiences you had and the successes that you've had, and where you're at and how you're helping other people, you're the one possibly taking the most out of those coaching calls more than anyone else that you're coaching. I'm sure they are taking a lot out of it. Don't get me wrong, but you're constantly learning. It sounds like you're constantly on the self-betterment journey. And you have a podcast too, right? So you have your own podcast, The Playbook, which has done incredibly well. One of the top podcasts I think that you can listen to in business. Talk to me a little bit about when you do the coaching calls, when you do the podcasting, how important it is to you as a person and as a business person that you are recording yourself and listening back to what you talk about. Yeah, it's the most important part. And I also take notes even and use keywords so that I can search the transcriptions of the recording that I take. So I use words like, ooh, that's a nugget. And when I say that, it's only to remind myself that somehow I was channeling a lesson Here's the philosophy that lies beneath that. And I'll tell you, there's one subtlety of what you said is if nobody listens to this podcast but you, I'm okay with that because the key to life is to have, and my mission in life is to have ambassadors, right? I'm looking for a thousand people like you that I know will impact another thousand to impact another thousand. So even if you were the only one to listen to it, if I could get you as an ambassador, if I can impact your life, 
that string, that exponential growth, that viral effect, excuse the pun, of what we do, the ideas we share and the lessons we learn and the stories we tell will carry on and I'll be able to reach my complete mission of impacting over a billion people to be happy on earth, simply one person at a time that can impact a thousand people that can impact a thousand people in their lifetimes, which we create a collective consciousness. Moreover, the philosophy that is the underlying theme of what you're talking about is lessons. When we can shift our paradigm to understand lessons, that life is about lessons and we're connected to the greatest source of light, lessons, love that ever exists, that's what inspires us. But there's a perspective of a lesson that everybody has to learn in order to, I think, exponentially grow from those lessons. Number one, life is about lessons. Two, the lessons will keep on coming until we learn them, and they will result in pain, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain, if we haven't learned them. So it's very important to recognize the pain in our life and tell ourselves, what did I do to attract this pain and what am I supposed to learn from it? Because once we learn the lesson, the pain is gone. Physical, emotional, mental, Spiritual pain is gone. Now, here's the most interesting thing about lessons that I've learned. One, I will forget every lesson I've ever learned. That's why those coaching calls are so important to me to record, transcribe, and to search. Is because I teach gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, and every day I forget those lessons. I'm not 100% grateful. I'm not 100% forgiving. I'm not 100% accountable. And I'm not 100% inspired. But what I'm doing is practicing each of those and learning the lessons and know in the reality of this world that I'm going to forget at one time or another all the lessons I've ever learned. But what keeps me motivated and inspired about that is that I have the capability to access those lessons and even lessons I haven't learned at any time. So knowing that complete continuum of lessons, that the life is about lessons and they keep on coming until we learn them, they result in pain if we haven't learned them, we will forget all of them one time or another. But overwhelmingly, I have the power to access those lessons because I'm always connected to the biggest source of energy, light, and lessons and love that ever existed that should come through me with appreciation, meaning I'm adding value to my lessons to give to you, to give to somebody else. So if I can clear those connections, the interference and corrosion created by the ego, which is where we started this interview, not only collecting lessons, but sharing the lessons, we all are going to expand and accelerate, and most importantly, distribute the most viral of all viruses called serotonin, which is happiness, because when people give serotonin as relief, which makes you happy, when people receive serotonin as release, which makes you happy. But what makes serotonin the most viral of all viruses, the most powerful of all viruses, is it's the only virus in the world that spreads by witnessing it. And so if you can witness somebody being happy and witness somebody giving and receiving, you're affected by serotonin and, and you're happy. And so that's the virus that I'm creating for people, happiness and serotonin. And that Ironically, also, it heals and empowers your immune system, serotonin. So it strengthens your immune system on top of being the most viral of all viruses. And that's why you have to control your feed, with, especially with the 24-hour news cycle. And anytime you turn any TV station on, especially right now with the coronavirus, you can get lost in that. But 
if we're on this self-betterment path and we understand like the stuff that we put in front of us, the content I'm talking about that we put in front of us, the people that you spend time with, that's why it's important, David, that people listen or watch or consume your content. That's why that's important because we're on the self-betterment path. It kind of hit me and I knew this and maybe you, I bring it front top of mind is why am I having these podcast discussions or why am I creating this or why am I doing that? And I knew it, but then you think you're like, well, if it's making me better, well, then it'll help me with my family. It'll help me with my business. It'll help me with the people that are there, help me with my clients and anyone that can consume content. And I watch you doing it and it's inspiring. And that's why you got to keep going with it. And you make it very clear when you say your life's mission is to empower others to be happy. And that's everything that you're saying right now. But I want to talk about that's a word and you've used it a lot here, happy. And I want to understand your context with happiness because if you're playing basketball and you're with your friends and you're happy and business is good and you have a good marriage and you have kids and, and things are going, the economy's okay. Well, there's a lot of different things that could happen. What if you badly sprain your ankle? You're lying there on the ground. That's not a happy moment. Like maybe you'll realize, oh, there's an obstacle and it's more time for me to read. And maybe that's where you're going to go to with this. It's going to oh, just realize your situation. You're going to be okay. You can spend time talking to different people and you don't have to play basketball. Maybe you're overexerting yourself, right? But I want to understand that happiness because when you get pushed in the face, if the coronavirus comes, if the economy changes, it could be something light. Happiness can change overnight. It's very difficult to be happy all the time. So I want to understand, I think it's an important word that we explore here real quick. Maybe not real quick, but that word happiness, happy. Yeah. So I've defined happiness in an interesting way because it's not attached to an outcome. All the things that you listed out is someone that, and like I did it in the past, I attach my happiness to an outcome. So if I would sprain my ankle, then that attributes to me not being happy. If I make a million dollars, that would attribute to me being happy. And what I learned was, what if I could shift my perspective into one that says, I am going to enjoy, right? Be happy with the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential. I'm going to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, which once again is so important to take inventory of my values because the snapshots that exist, right? It's so important to understand the snapshots that exist in our life because one, people get frustrated because people have judgments and conditions based on snapshots when we were in high school, college, certain jobs or circumstances. You could take some of my worst snapshots and people that would tell you what they think about David Meltzer would not be very good. Or you can take the snapshots of people that have known me in the last few years, the majority of the time, and say, wow, you know, these are the great snapshots. But it all stems from me enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. You know, there's, you know, Chris Gardner is a good friend of mine who wrote the book and did the movie Pursuit of Happiness. And I told him, I go, that's the dumbest title ever. (laughs) And I said, because your book and your movie is not about the pursuit of happiness. Your book is about happiness is the pursuit. I know you. Your happiness is the pursuit. Whether you sprain your ankle or get sick or there's a virus or you lose someone in your life or you fail a class or the list goes on and on and on. And I just tell you, and will tell you this, that the universe is always pushing me because of the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. The universe is always pushing me to a better situation or to make my situation better. 
and you can tell me whatever you want to tell me can happen. You just can't be happy. I'm in the pursuit of my literally pursuit of my potential and I'm enjoying it. That's what makes me happy is every day without quit pursuing that potential. And I don't do it all the time. I'm in this practice myself, right? Sure. So I'm a hypocrite. I'm happy all the time, not a chance. But I will tell you this, every day I'm happier and happier. And the percentages, I don't know what they are, are out of control to compare to the void shortages and obstacles that I used to focus in on and the outcomes that I used to attach my happiness to. And they never came. One of the emptiest, saddest times in my life is when I had everything that I wanted and dreamed of. Mm. That outcome's important. And you also said it. You said most of the time, even right now, even when you're in your best moment, most of the time, you're a good guy. You're doing what you want to be doing. Sometimes, like you said, you don't succeed all the time. And that's no different than if someone's focused on the outcome, if they're making outbound calls at the very basic level and they're just starting out in their career and they're getting told no, 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 over and over and over again. And I know it's the process, right? It's everything that you're going through that you just said and that you're someone that probably likes the no. You want to hear the no because you know that's getting you closer and closer. And we hear that all the time, right? There's a lot of self-development books that talk about that. And you can get a lot of content out about that. But it is important because we've watched people. We've seen people at the company and I'm wondering how you help them. Is there a point in time when someone just can't get over that hump of, man, they're just, they're running into the wall constantly. And it's a difficult thing. And there's going to be difficult challenges that are a result of the outcome of the coronavirus, right? There's going to be a lot of things that happen. It's just real. So what are you talking? And we talked about this at the beginning. What are you talking to your team about? Not necessarily now, but when they run into the basic challenges, even though it's not basic, when they are being told no, when they can't get that conversation, when they can't make that next deal, when their boss comes to them and says, this isn't good enough, try again. Yeah, I try to work on mindset, uh, utilizing those values that we teach, right? Like, where is the light, the love, and the lessons? What's happening? How can I be grateful for this? You know, focusing my attention on to find that light, love, and lesson, and learning to love what I do, regardless of the circumstances. I was training myself in my third year of law school when there was a recession. I wasn't sure if I was going to get a job. My oldest brother had passed away of HIV. I mean, there's a variety of things that we could list out, like you said, that weren't going to really make me happy. And I remember framing my world and telling God, I don't want to be rich. I want to buy my mom a house in a car. I got $100,000 of law loans. I was blessed to get a scholarship to college, but things aren't looking so good for Uncle Dave today. You know, I'm 21 years old and things are not looking bright. And I said to myself, you know what, God, I will shovel shit with my hands six days a week, 12 hours a day, if you allow me to buy my mom a house and a car and pay off my law loans. Mm. And that's what I want people to think about. I want you to frame things into toughness, utilize the telephone and the two things that I preach. But I went to a toughness side of not why me, but I told God, try me. Mm. I told him, try me. Try me. I, I, I can take this. Right, I I know what I want to to make me happy. I may be misguided on the money side of it, of what I was trying to do, but I had that in me that I must be what I can be, and I'm willing to invest in myself and do whatever it takes to be what I can be. So, in that context, I think with what's going on, frame what you're doing. If, if you want to help yourself frame it into a framework of faith. 
take time out of the equation. Look at it and say, I'm going to live multiple lifetimes. I'm going to take time out of the equation. Nothing needs to be done today. Everything's just pushing me to something better. So looking at that, it's either pushing me to a better situation or to make my current situation better. Why not? Why not? And, you know, I'm blessed with being more experienced because I've lived through 93, 97, 2001, and 2008, and knowing that each of those things that were the end of the world when they were happening just ended up pushing me to something better and making my own situation better. The framing is great. And I love the mindset that you have. And it's clear that you have the mindset because you repeat the things that you say, right? You have the alignment, action, adjustment, the gratitude, empathy, accountability, communication, and you say it and you watch your YouTube videos, you listen to your podcast, I listen to you talk now. It's ingrained in your mind because it's so important to you. And so you have framed it to say, you're going to say it. I don't think you're just doing it by accident. It's on purpose. And there's a lot of things that are on purpose and it's you going out and creating content. I want to ask you this last thing and then get you out of here because I know you got a busy day probably ahead of you. We're just getting going and it's just crazy out there, but a lot of opportunity. You're creating a lot of content. When we started creating Sports Epreneur, we had a other business, we had an insurance business, and then we're starting to create content and create analogies between sports and business. And we're talking about marketing and life. And I'm thinking a lot and I love it. And some people though would come and say, what's your ROI on that? Why are you creating content? Why are you spending time doing this? You should go do that, right? So we talked about before, choose your own thing, but you're out there. You're creating a lot of content. And of course, you have a lot of connections. So someone could say, well, it's easy for David to do it because he's got this huge following and he can connect with these people and he can reach out to that person. First of all, I want to talk about this real quick. Is that ROI of content? When you go out there and give a speech, you're giving. I don't see any sense of your content that says, I'm going to have this conversation and it's going to lead to dollars in my pocket, which we already talked about money. But to the people that are out there that are thinking about ROI when they're creating content, what would you say? Make room for what you want. I do have a huge network of people, but it made it harder because more people were laughing at me, scoffing at me, making fun of me when I started putting on my content, asking me, you know, was I going to speak in a bathroom? You know, some people asked, you know, did I think I was Tony Robbins? <laughs> like, man, they always laugh at you, scoff at you, make fun of you before they applaud you. Everything that you do, that's the way people do. They project their insecurity that they can't or won't do what you're willing to do to be what you can be. But I'm just making room for what I want. You know, I'm not on some time frame. We talk about faith and framing things in a context. You'll never see me sell off stage, right? You don't see me selling things. But, you know, when I give away my books and pay for shipping, somehow the universe has more people buying my books. I've never asked anyone to buy my books, but people will say, oh, no, no, no. I just, I'll buy your book or, you know, I'll send people two books and pay for shipping and they give it to a friend. And then that friend has a class and will buy a hundred books. And, you know, I've never sold more of my books than I did this year. And I didn't sell more than I did last year. And I've never asked anyone to buy it. The only time I've ever asked anyone to buy a book is in exchange for free coaching to the Junior Achievement to donate my books to Junior Achievement because Brian Tracy and Bob Proctor and Jack Canfield and I and Mark Victor Hansen and Sharon Lecter are all donating our content to Junior Achievement because I'm the Chief Chancellor of Junior Achievement University for course 15 to 25. I'm just making room what I want. That's all. I just trust more than most people. I have more faith. You can have green card, you know, with money, you can have green card, gold card, platinum card, or black card money, and you get more and more and more with either of those cards. The same thing with faith. I just am working towards black card faith. I'm not there yet, but I got platinum card faith, and I'm able to go ahead and put this shit on credit, knowing that the universe is going to provide it back to me. And I'm not giving to get, I'm not trading. 
I'm unconditionally giving with faith, making room for what I want by being of service of value and asking for help myself. Well, your game time decision-making book is your latest book came out July of last year, 2019. And I want to ask if a person is considering and they've done marketing at some level and they were trying to make the decision if they should start creating content, whether it's writing a blog, create a, do, start a podcast, create videos on social media, what have you. And it made sense to all the things in their line and they're on this path and they want to love the process. They want to love this thing that they're doing. Would you encourage them if it was the right thing to create content? Everybody should create content, quality content that represents their frequency. They should be capturing as much of their own content, modifying it, amplifying it, and perpetuating. Whether it's in person, on the phone, via email, or media, radio, print, TV, or social media, if you are not capturing, modifying, amplifying, perpetuating your content and practicing coming up with quality content that you can consistently put up in those places, you're making a big mistake because the opportunities that exist to impact more people with that content will never be as great as they are today. There's so many great opportunities that exist by building your own brand, by creating your own frequency, the power of that signal, the spectrum of that signal, and the clarity of your message will only hone in everything that you want because it's definitely conducive to the attention plus attention equal those coincidences that we talked about. So everybody out there, it's not about you. It's about your frequency. And there's 4.2 billion people you can reach. And who cares if 4.1 billion of them never know who you are or who you are? Imagine if just 0.1 billion people on earth were impacted by what you have to say in the frequency that you say it. That's a great time to hop off here with the word opportunity. It's like you said, there's opportunity out there. There's constantly opportunity. David, I appreciate so much you spending time with me and with us who's going to listen to this podcast. Thank you for your time, your energy, your wisdom, your experiences. It's all very important. What's the best way people can connect with you? Well, I'd love it if people could text me first at 949-298-2905. The most impactful thing that we taught them on this podcast, I'd love to get a gear on what impacts people. And it's not what I say, it's what they hear. So I never know what really touches people. And it's always good for me to do that. If not, I'm at David Meltzer. You can search David Meltzer. You can find me at dmeltzer.com. I appreciate everybody. I got to jump to my next interview, Eric. I really appreciate you, especially. Call, text, email me anytime, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. You have an awesome day. You too. Take care. One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CAD Source production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.